Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. If you find yourself hungry to dive into a new book, what do you do? Do you go online? Or do you head out to your local independent bookstore? Over the years, Nashville has lost its share of independent bookstores, but some have held on against steep odds, and some new shops are making a name for themselves. What is it like selling books in the shadow of online behemoths? And what is up with our city's used bookstore scene? Today, we'll explore the past, present, and future of book selling here in Nashville. But first, since the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, many people have been scrambling to figure out what they would do if they became pregnant. For some, their employers have offered assistance, but that can be complicated. Here to help us understand is WPLN's morning producer, Alexis Marshall. Hey, Alexi, thanks for being with me. Thanks for having me here. So why did you start looking into this? Yeah. So right after Roe was overturned, you could see a lot of folks online, specifically like big employers saying, we're going to offer this type of support. Maybe it's $4,000, $5,000 to help reimburse people who have to travel across state lines in order to obtain a legal abortion. We saw this type of announcement from companies like Starbucks and Amazon. And so I wanted to look into how is this playing out locally? Okay, so what kind of help are employers offering for their employees seeking abortion in other states? Yeah, so I talked with one like local retail worker. She works at a store called Marine Layer in the 12 South kind of shopping district. And um, her employer is one of several of these national companies offering that kind of reimbursement type program. Um, and then Nashville's metro government has asked the benefits board to see if uh, abortion out of state might already be covered by their plan. And mm. if not, to see about um, potentially offering that type of reimbursement program here for metro employees as well. Um, but for a lot of folks, it's still really up in the air. So I reached out to the top 10 uh, biggest private employers in the Nashville area. And um, folks like at Vanderbilt University Medical Center are still going over the legal implications and trying to figure out, uh, hammer out some things there. Uh, Vanderbilt University has put together a task force, but they haven't yet announced what they're going to do. Um, and a lot of the other employers that I emailed ended up kind of just staying mum. They either uh, didn't comment or reiterated their existing plan without really saying whether it covers abortion or going out of state and the travel expenses associated with illegal abortion elsewhere. Now, for the employers that are taking action, I'm sure, you know, it sounds like that can really help some people, but I'm betting they're caveats. What are the drawbacks to the kind of programs employers are offering? Um, based on what I know, it seems like everybody, A, has to be enrolled in the employee like health program in order to uh, benefit from these programs. So they, they need to be enrolled in the company health insurance policy. So that's one thing. Um, but then also when you're talking about a reimbursement, that means that these folks have to have that money up front on their own and then come back to their employers later on and say, hey, I paid for this. Can you pay me back? Um, and traveling out of state and the abortion itself like costs 
thousands of dollars. Um, and if you're not getting financial aid or some sort of financial help on the front end, um, then you may not have the money available to you in the moment to just pay for it up front. What about part-time workers? Um, so that's another thing. A lot of companies don't offer health insurance programs to their part-time workers. Um, so a lot of folks in part-time jobs, even if they're working multiple part-time jobs, um, might not have that health insurance coverage to help reimburse them, even if they did have the money on the front end. Um, yeah. Okay. So you reached out to local workers to see how they were feeling about their employer's response to the overturning of Roe versus Wade. What did you hear from folks? Yeah. So I mentioned that I talked to an employee at Marine Layer. She actually happened to be a part-time worker and hers is one of the companies that does offer health insurance to part-time workers. So she was really excited about the prospect of that offer, essentially. Um, and she said that uh, she's not enrolled in their health program right now, but she said that seeing that this is one of the benefits offered has made her consider getting off of her parents' health insurance and starting her own so that she would have access to that kind of care. Um, but there are other folks who I spoke to who said that their company had not made any sort of big announcement and it was unclear to them like what was and wasn't covered by their health insurance. Um, and that's left folks in kind of a difficult position. So I spoke with one woman named Ariel who asked that we use just her first name to protect her medical privacy. And she told me that getting pregnant would be financially devastating for her right now. Um, she uses birth control, but knows that that's not 100% effective. And she's worried that certain types of birth control um, could be targeted by lawmakers next. And on top of all of that, she's also concerned that she could inherit a heart defect from her mother. And if that's detected, she would be advised to just not have children. And so it's for all of these reasons that she's actually looking to transfer her job to somewhere else where abortion is legal. I've lived other places um, and, you know, enjoyed it. I know that I can live anywhere, but this has always been home to me. But at the end of the day, like, home is where we're safe. And that can be anywhere. So this is obviously a decision that has really torn her up. She has a lot of family here. She's lived her whole life in Tennessee, or I guess not her whole life. She says she's lived elsewhere, but this is where home is for her. And so it... It's uprooting, and um, it's something that really is impacting people's day-to-day -day lives and potentially their, their long-term growth in the state of Tennessee. Yeah, it really brings to light the consequences mm -hmm. of what has recently happened. Now, what are other options out there for employees whose employers haven't explicitly come out with a program to help pay for out-of-state abortion care? So it's worth looking into if your health plan covers abortion in the first place um, and, and worth looking into what is covered by your health plan. Um, but then also one thing that you might not think about is that some folks have HSA accounts. And according to the IRS, an abortion and associated lodging and travel um, can be covered, but it depends on your individual plan. Um, so I, I tried to talk with the IRS and get kind of a straight answer on whether employers could limit uh, 
what is covered by an HSA. I really didn't get that clear-cut answer, hmm. um, but it is worth looking into if you have an HSA. Um, that that's certainly something that you would want to to investigate a little bit further. It feels like getting access to full and affordable health care through work has always been a bit tenuous. How does this affect that situation? You know, it's something that advocates told me could potentially exacerbate inequities that already exist in the American healthcare system and uh, access disparities that already exist with regard to abortion. Um, and that's because a lot of the folks who already lacked access to abortion, um, specifically black and brown folks, um, that was already hard before the overturning of Roe. And now with more and more reliance on employers to help fill this gap in healthcare and relying on uh, employee, employment-based insurance programs, um, that might make it even worse because black and brown folks are also less likely to be insured. Now, do you know if the state legislature is planning to respond to the potential influx of people leaving the state to receive abortion care? That's something that I haven't gotten a chance to look into yet. Actually, a lot of things about the upcoming legislative session um, are are unclear and kind of hazy right now. Um, but I know that Tennessee Right to Life, which is an anti-abortion organization, um, has hinted that it may try to lobby against employers being able to offer assistance with getting out-of-state abortions. They've used the language that they don't want employers to coerce or pressure workers to go out of state to seek an abortion. So um, I know that that's certainly something that we could be looking out for as the next legislative session comes around. That was WPLN morning producer Alexis Marshall. Alex Lexi. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Khalil. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll meet some of the few local booksellers in our city and talk about what the future holds for our independent bookstores. Where do you buy books? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. A decade ago, it looked like online retail and e-books were the future, meaning that future did not include independent bookstores. They were all closing across the country. Then we lost a big one in our city, Davis Kidd in Green Hills. Things looked grim. But then author Ann Patchett and her business partner, Karen Hayes, opened Parnassus Books right down the road. And then a place called Her Bookshop opened in East Nashville. And another trend started to emerge. The bookstore was back. But these vital community spaces never really went away. My, get, my next guests know that's true. Jordan Harris owns Akebulan Images, Nashville's only Black-owned bookstore. And DZ Violet is the co-owner of Novelette Booksellers, a brand new shop in East Nashville. Jordan and DZ, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, thanks. So, Jordan, your father, Yusef Harris, opened Akebulon Images and was a highly respected individual in person here in Nashville. Tell me more about him. Uh, well, I guess my father moved here for, for graduate school and uh, was a psychologist by training. And he kind of realized 
while he was teaching that there was a, a, a gap in Nashville for the provision of positive books and materials for um, the black residents. And so he started kind of selling a few things and then it kind of turned into its own business. And uh, it's been 36 years of uh, serving the community, working to improve access to, uh, to reading and to information. Yeah. So your dad, owner of Avkebalam and a clinical psychologist, how did his study of psychology, how did that fuel his design for the shop? Uh, so my father came out of school in the 70s, kind of during the a big movement in black studies overall and in black psychology specifically. And there was a big effort to improve self-identity. Uh, I think around that time, earlier, a little earlier before that time, there was a study about you know, children seeing dolls of different races and mm-hmm. asking how they felt about, you know, the personalities of those dolls. And there was, it was a very negative result towards the to black dolls. So um, that and other studies kind of reaffirmed to black Americans in this academic world that there was a need for um, ways to improve self-identity and, and, and ways to see yourself in what you're trying to do, like the value of mentorship or the value of stories um, that that you could relate to as far as um, being a child growing up and then being an adult in the world and how to think, you know, how to have self-pride. And uh, by creating the space, by creating the bookstore, that, it created a portal for folks to uh, seek out and, and learn more about themselves to, to you know, think highly about themselves. What would you say, I mean, that happened in the 70s, what would you say about the need for positive representations of African-Americans in the media 40 years later? Well, I think for, for everyone, you know, when you're a child, you kind of see what's around you and you kind of follow in the footsteps of, of somebody that, that inspires you. And so for anybody, and, specific, and particularly for African-Americans in America, there's, it's always good to have more and more examples of lives you can lead um, in both, in, in especially in positive ways, which which makes you believe you can do it too. So, um, I think you know having uh, autobiographies about famous people in history, having materials about you know business and and finance and science and medicine and politics, really opens your mind to what's possible for you. And so I think that um, that is what kind of we achieve by by having the bookstore. Now, DZ, first of all, congratulations on opening. <laughs> Thank you. Then, <laughs> like Akebulan Images, representation is important to Novelette's mission, right? Yeah. We are, uh, my co owner Jordan and I are both queer, and we just grew up having almost no representation in books. Um, if there was queer rep, it felt very like it had to be secret or it was weird or gross um, or they were like a villain or something. And it's just really important for us to make sure other queer people know that it's very normal and you don't just have to read sad or heartbreaking stories about the queer experience. There's a lot of queer joy um, and you're not doing anything wrong. And I mean, it's different, obviously, than having to just deal with prejudice against you because of your skin color, but it is similar in the way that it's like, you know, we're creating spaces for people who maybe 
grew up thinking like I have nowhere to go, nowhere that's for people like me. So now after hearing from a few folks who have been there, I know it's not your typical <laughs> bookstore. What sets it apart from other shops? Um, well, we really wanted to create a place that had really welcoming and fun vibes. Um, just because we noticed that even with our favorite bookstores, um, in like all across the U.S., there was like a lack of color and um, kind of like a little bit of whimsy. And my co-owner and I are both very silly, fun, well, fun. We're introverts, so we stay home all the time, but fun <laughs> in the aspect like we like color and uh, bright stuff and we like laughing. So we really wanted to create a space that felt inviting and warm. And when you walk in there, you just feel a little happy and maybe you don't take things, you don't take reading or books necessarily so seriously. You can just kind of be yourself, whether you are looking for a classic or you're looking for something a little more niche or just want like a good rom-com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other, other than books, what else can people find at Novelette? Um, not a ton right now. <laughs> um, since we just opened in June, we're working on like expanding for like gifts and stuff. So right now I think we have, it's like almost all books, but then we've got like some bookmarks and pins and stuff, but we're working to expand. So we have like t-shirts and hats and we're going to have book clubs soon. Um, but it is mostly books right now. <laughs> Speaking about the idea to bring book book clubs in, how has the mm -hmm. community responded to the opening? It's been great. Um, we are lucky to be in the heart of a neighborhood in East Nashville that I think it just happens to be very queer. So it kind of felt like kismet. Um, but the neighborhood has been amazing. People come in and say the nicest things all the time. Yesterday I got to the shop and was putting together our new desk chair while my co-owner, uh, waited another like hour and a half for me to do that. And I just kept hearing person after person go up and tell her how much they were looking forward to going into the store and how cute they thought it was. And it just feels really incredible to be getting a lot of positivity. And I don't know if my co-owner Jordan worried about this, but I definitely worried about a little bit of backlash because we are openly queer and openly trying to let other people know like queer is here forever. We're like happy and prideful. And uh, we just, I was worried that there would be backlash or not like hate crimes necessarily, but just maybe people protesting or something, and it has not been that way at all, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Congratulations Thanks. on that. Now, now, Jordan, people can get things other than books at a cable on Images, right? Uh, yes, so we sell um, kind of kind of redefining it as like a cultural shop sometimes because we, we sell uh, books for sure, but we also sell a lot of skincare and health, health healthcare products and jewelry and, and African imports. So I think part of that mission of you know, promoting positive self-identity expanded into all the the kit, all the, the pieces that you might want to have in your house or to surround yourself with to to make you feel you know, proud. What do people say who walk in there, people who walk in there for the first time, what do they say when they get the experience of the shop? Oh, well, the first thing everybody says when they walk in is that it smells great. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, we have this, a uh, natural scent that's the combination of all of the oils and incense and, and the books. And, um, and that's the first thing people say. They kind of walk in and like, oh, it smells so good in here. Unfortunately, half of what people say is, I've been here for in Nashville for so long and I've never been in here before. It's amazing in here. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so that's something for me to work on. But uh, 
yeah, that, it's definitely people are hit by you know the the colors and the 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 art that we have as well as the, the overall vibe. A feast for the senses. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, last week, the bookshop in East Nashville celebrated six years in business, and that small space was buzzing with customers. Our senior producer, Steve Harush, stopped by and checked in with owner Joel Herr, who said that their fan base has grown steadily, especially with the influx of new Nashvilleans. Let's listen. More people are sort of seeking out um, independent bookstores and making the conscious decision to shop their books, at least, from a bookstore and appreciating our curation and the smallness of our store and the coziness and the warm customer service. Um, so I think that that's definitely changed. Um, obviously, the city has changed. Um, there's a lot of people moving from other cities like L.A. and New York where there is a culture of shopping in independent bookstores. So we have people coming in and they're like, I just moved here from New York and you're my new bookstore, which is, is pretty fun. Now, DZ, have you found more recent arrivals to the city excited to discover your shop? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, what's interesting is that in the area that we're in, Eastwood Village, there are homes that were just built as part of that, quote unquote, village. So we have people literally moving or looking at the houses right outside our bookstore that pop in and they're just like, this is amazing to know that this would be our bookstore. We'd be within walking distance. Mm. Um, I've met several people who have uh, been just just moved recently from, yeah, L.A., like Pacific Northwest, just excited to find a fun new shop because <laughs> even though that we're here today, like there aren't that many bookstores in Nashville. So I think it... Um, you know, the bookstores in Nashville are amazing, but it does feel kind of like, man, I only have a few options. And uh, it is nice to have people pop in and just sort of show their support and that they're excited that they don't feel too sad about leaving their past bookstores behind. Mm -hmm. now, Jordan, have you found newcomers? Uh, yes. <clears throat> so I think um, I think in the, over the last couple of years with COVID, a lot, a lot of people started looking around locally a little bit more about what you know, trying to support um, the local local business, and so we've definitely felt that um, people have been coming in looking for us and, and discovering us for the first time a lot recently. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host Khalil Lekalona. We're talking this hour about the state of independent bookstores with booksellers Jordan Harris of Akebulon Images and DZ Violet from Novelette. Okay, so we just got a tweet coming in and from Bubby Lisa tweeted us that it is their favorite shop is Curious Capybara. It's a bookshop in Hendersonville. So please don't forget to tweet us your favorites at <laughs> This Is Nashville. Now, over the past decade, Parnassus Books has become a real institution here. My next guest helps keep it all running smoothly. Kat Bach is the store manager at Parnassus and she joins us now. Kat, welcome to This Is Nashville. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. So what's new at Parnassus these days? Um, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> As you mentioned in your introduction, um, Karen Hayes was our co-owner for ever since the store opened, and she has recently retired, which has meant that a lot about the store is different. Mm. Um, so we're kind of entering a little bit of a new era. We you know, are having to reinvent ourselves after the pandemic. Our business shifted a lot during that. So just kind of the day-to-day -day feels different and reinvigorated now, this in a is, lot of ways. This is your second stint at Parnassus, right? It is. Wonderful. What were you doing in between? 
Um, I spent about a year and a half at Ingram, which was a very different and really awesome experience. Um, and for those who don't know, Ingram is a uh, book distributor and one of the biggest in the country. They're based in Laverne. Now, tell me what books are in high demand these days? Romance. Romance. <laughs> so much romance. Do you think that's a response due to the pandemic? Oh, definitely. I mean, I know I've always been a romance lover, but, you know, things felt dark and scary for a really long time and they still do in a lot of ways. So um, a lot of folks turned to romance as a way to kind of cope and deal with something. You know, it was light. You knew how it was going to end. It was going to make you feel happy and warm inside. And that's great. So mm -hmm. now where are people finding out about these books? Oh, um, I mean, there's a lot of the traditional ways, re book reviews, you know, like the New York Times and all that stuff. Um, BookPage is another local company that does awesome reviews. And then TikTok. Mm. TikTok <laughs> is huge for books. BookTok. Oh, yeah. Okay. Not just dance crazes. No, it's not just dance crazes. There's books. Okay. Now, DZ, is social media big for Novelette? Yeah, we get a lot of people in who um, tell us that they found out about us on TikTok, and um, we're trying to figure out how to be good at TikTok because, um, like Kat mentioned, book talk, which is what book lovers call their side of TikTok, is huge, and I am addicted to it. Um, so I would like to figure out how to have our shop have a presence like from ourselves, not necessarily just people kind of like touring the store since we just opened. But uh, man, making TikToks is hard. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, how about a cable on? You guys active on social media? Yeah, we have our pages up um, and I'm, I'm mostly posting events that are going on uh, or kind of reposting some of our vendors information. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I've been exploring trying to do more and, and trying to kind of create a a voice for the store online as a as an entity and um so that's that's a space that we're looking to work on but we're not super super active at the moment we got a tweet from jason elliott miller at this is nashville he says definitely a fan of parnassus there is always a place for local bookstores especially when they build community now now jordan i know you moved back in town in 2019 before the onset of the pandemic how did the pandemic affect business out of cable on Im images uh, so, yeah, 20, 2019, I moved back and I was trying to figure out, all right, how, what's going on in the bookstore? How's it going? Um, and prior to 2020, my father basically um, made most of the the money to keep the store running and open, doing festivals and doing conferences, um, whether they were children, like teacher conferences or African cultural con conferences, all types of events. And so COVID really meant that all those events were closed. They were done, um, and I was concerned because you know most of the most of, more than fifty percent of the sales had come from the road, but somehow, um, twenty twenty in the store ended up being the the best year, uh, and I think a good amount of that was kind of the the reaction to uh, the George Floyd incident, mm -hmm. and and kind of the um, the the kind of revolution in thinking of trying to look and see what can we do to involve black businesses more in, in our day-to-day -day life or in our corporate environment. And so we got a lot of business um, through people trying to seeking us out for the first time. Um, but also, I think a lot of people being home more allowed them to be out more. And as we were able to get allow customers back into the store, there was a lot of 
people, you know, buying lots of different things that they, they might not have had time to buy before or to spend time on. And, uh, and that, that seemed to be a big um, boost for us. Now, DZ, you all came up with the idea right as the pandemic was starting, right? Yep. <laughs> what about that time made you think, hey, this is the perfect time to open up a bookstore? It is kind of crazy thinking back about the timing of it all. Um, my business partner, Jordan, was the one who initially had the idea of us opening the shop together. And as you it was right. It was March 2020. The company, the company, the country was shutting down. Um, and I don't know. It was just we both were at places in our lives where we knew that we weren't doing um, the kind of work that we wanted to do. I was doing customer support for Lyft for a few years, and she was just kind of like going between restaurant jobs. Um, and we knew we wanted something different, something that felt like it was really meaningful to us. Um, and then it just kind of happened that she had the idea right before COVID, which hmm. was both scary because then as we watched um, COVID really like rapidly take over the country, we started worrying, is this idea even going to be sustainable? Like we had to really watch and see how other bookstores across the country were responding um, to their communities, not being able to go out and go directly into their stores. And while it was kind of scary, it was also kind of inspiring to see the ways that other local businesses made it work, um, like with Zoom, uh, book events or just local delivery. Um, so it just kind of gave us uh, the hope that we needed. And then we actually were able to spend pretty much all of the time that we spent just in our houses, kind of like really focusing on what we wanted our shop to mean to us and to the community of um, East Nashville. So it it was weird because it was scary, but it also felt invigorating and really exciting. <laughs> Now, Kat, the Nashville area is really actually an important piece of the book supply chain. You know, what role do we play in the larger book selling world that a lot of people might not know about? Um, as in like the Nashville area playing a role in the book supply chain? Yeah. Um, I think Ingram would be the big one with that. Um, I'm sure you guys also oh, yeah. source through Ingram. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, their main warehouse being in Laverne is such a huge part of us being able to provide customer service for our folks. Um, they have warehouses across the country as well, which is wonderful to also be able to source from. Um, but having them right there means that we are able to get books very, very quickly, which mm -hmm. helps us to be competitive. Um, and then, you know, bookstores across the country are able to source from them as well. But it means a lot that they're so close to us. You know, as we move into the future, I wonder how plans to modernize or update operations for places like Parnassus, Akebalon, and are developing. What do you have planned, Jordan, for Akebalon Images? Uh, so we recently kind of launched our website last year, and and we're finding that a lot of the customers that my father would meet on the road every year have been have been missing him a bit of of having his his product um, product product list. So, so that's been a, a new angle for us selling, selling books online. Uh, we really focus on a, on a supply of books that, that even though we, we do sell a lot of books from Ingram and and from ma uh, major publishers, I think majority of my book sales come from lesser known uh, publishing companies and from um, pu distributors that don't distribute onto Amazon and onto into broader distribution. Uh, so. Just, just me working on getting their books 
have to have greater access to the rest of the country is uh, is a big project for me. Uh, I think I've, I'm also trying to figure out like with um, with book clubs, very it's very difficult to get everybody lined up on the same time. I'm sure even listeners when they do them at home, are thinking, okay, how do I get everybody to a be available at a certain time and then b read the book <laughs> ahead of ahead of mm-hmm. the meeting. So just looking to, at how to make um, book clubs a little more asynchronous where you have a place you can go to either listen to a, a podcast of, about part of a book that the book club is running and, and have some time to take on feedback bet- before the next one and trying to look at how to use technology to be more flexible for our customers and, and to meet them on their time. That is Jordan Harris, owner of Akebalon Images. He was joined by DZ Violet, co-owner of Novelette, and Kat Bach, buyer at Parnassus Books. Thanks to you all for being with us today. And go out there and get yourself some books, people. Uh, thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll turn to used and rare books and invite a few local experts who can help you find them. What book are you looking for? How long have you been searching for it? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Over the weekend, a few dozen book dealers gathered at the factory in Franklin for the annual Tennessee Book and Paper Fair. This event is a must, whether you're a bookseller or a collector or just someone who loves a good old book, like Franklin residents Courtney Frazier and Dominic Bonini. I like anything with like a really cool story behind it. Um, and we went to an estate sale next door to her grandmother's house and found a book from the, what was it, 1682? And it, really they old. wanted like $10 for it. Um, and I was like, I don't know much about books, but that looks really freaking cool. Yeah. Um, so like I took a, took a chance on it and then like took it to a, the rare print shop in downtown Franklin and they like looked through it and like were just amazed at it. And it's just so cool to think about how many hands have touched it and, yeah. um, like where it's been, because it was written in Latin. Yeah, written in so Latin. So it's probably been all over the world. Who knows? It's sort of like there's this idea that everything has just been invented now. Oh my God, we are just getting sexy paranormal romance now. Oh my God, we are just getting queer retellings of Greek myths now. But then when you go into the antiquarian side, you find books from you know farther and farther back and you're like these are not these are not new trends these are just trends that are coming back around and not everything that's old is obsolete i have found a couple different older science fiction books that i've read that their takes on gender have been really really interesting and there have been older queer books that going back looking at those has been really really interesting so just because something is is new or is the hot button topic now it doesn't necessarily mean it's been invented now so there's value in going to the older bookstores in finding out what we've been reading before that last voice was phoebe from shelf indulgence used books she came all the way from Sarasota, Florida, for the event. Now, my next guests have seen plenty of book trends come and go as used booksellers. I'd like to introduce Larry Woods, one half of the book review site, Bookman, Bookwoman, and book reseller, Carl Smith. Larry and Carl, 
Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, Larry, you used to own a physical bookstore in Hillsborough Village. What made you want to open up your own shop? Uh, Thirty to 40,000 books and boxes at my house wow. and my office. And my beautiful wife, Sarah Lee, saying, we've got to do something. And, of course, I didn't want my books in boxes. I wanted them out where I could see them. So instead of building a library, we built a physical book bricks-and-mortar bookstore in Hillsborough Village. How did you get around in your office with all those books? <laughs> well, <laughs> you either buy an office building, which we did on an old Victorian house on Music Row, uh, or you rent warehouse space, which we also did when we ran out of room in the Victorian townhouse. And then we built an addition that doubled the size of our house 10 years ago. Oh. So you're constantly either giving them away. Uh, we gave away 20,000 children's books when we ran the bookstore in Hillsborough Village or selling them or collecting them. And, and I pretty much do all three. <laughs> Okay, we got a tweet from Bookman Bookwoman. We started Bookman Bookwoman Bookstore literally to sell Larry's books. <laughs> Ask Larry how that's worked out. It sounds like Bookman Bookwoman Bookwoman wants you to tell us some stories a little bit. Well, Carl can tell you these stories too. Carl was one of our best. Uh, Carl sold us books as a as a reseller or a scout. Uh, we had a great great time. You meet wonderful people, uh, but that first day we opened back now. 1997, Sarah Lee picked up the wrong box of books, or actually, I probably put the wrong box on the cart, and she was selling my valuable first edition mystery books from the 30s and 40s for five and six dollars. Okay. <laughs> Somebody got <laughs> a great deal okay. that day. Yes, they did. <laughs> now, before the break, we heard from some folks still in the business of selling. Now, what would you say is the hardest thing about keeping a bookstore going? Well, finding the right personnel, you can't just hire anybody. You've got to hire people that know something about books so that when customers come in and say, uh, my daughter read X book, what can I get that's like that? You know, they need to be knowledgeable about that. Second, the prices just don't work. Mm. Uh, you know, if I buy a new book, I know it's going to cost me $25 or in that range. Uh, I expect used books, if I'm the customers, they're going to cost me, what, $5, $10, something in that range. So that means as a bookstore owner, when I go to buy books, I better not pay more than a dollar or two for them. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'm out of business pretty quickly. And, and it's just increasingly difficult to find estate sales, which is where a lot of the books are bought and sold. Uh, people, instead of putting their books into an estate sale, they go on Amazon and sell them themselves. So the supply of books becomes very expensive and very difficult for a used bookstore. You know, a few weeks ago, we did a show about vinyl collection, and this kind of feels a little bit similar. Now, now, Carl, I understand that you sell, you find very rare books for people, right? I do. Um, my business model started out as a wholesaler. Um primarily selling to Larry and some of the other uh, popular used book stores over the last 30 years. Um, right now, I'm in an antique mall, Music Valley Antiques in Donaldson. I've got about 10,000 books in there, which would constitute a small bookstore. But um, I'm definitely still a scout. I'm out mm -hmm. there a lot, uh, finding different customers, hard to find books, and uh, doing what I can. Can you give us alive. an example of a notable search and discovery project that you've completed? Um, sure. Let's see. Uh, 
gosh, that's tough because there's so many of them. Uh, you know, a lot of times in the antique mall, people will come in and and I've got this uh, section that's, I call it my weirdo section, hmm. and I hope it's okay to call it that, but uh, it's all the kind of the beat, and the, I've got a cannibalism section and a torture section, and uh, I had a couple guys coming in looking for uh, some cryptozoology recently. Okay. And uh, they were serious Bigfoot uh, aficionados, and I actually found them something kind of special um, that they had seen before, but they hadn't seen in a while. And so that was kind of a little accomplishment for me. Um, to what, be able to provide that for them. What's, so, the, what's the process like? What do you, how do you go about finding them? Well, uh, I go online first and, and, and try to figure out if I can buy it at a price that's it's reasonable enough for me to be able to keep my price low enough to where I'll, I'll have a repeat customer. Because you know there are a lot of books that you can find online nowadays if you want to pay the money. Um, but my business model is I try to, you know, if someone comes into my space um, and they don't buy a book, that's okay, but it's not going to be because of price. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to keep my books affordable. And so that's kind of the first thing I'm thinking. And so if it's a book that seems too expensive, I, I say, look, you know, just go online, find it yourself. But if I think I can find it at a better price at some point and give them a good deal, that's kind of my starting, where okay. I start. You know, it's all, it's all about the price. I want, I want to give people um, affordable books. Now, what is it like using online? Because you both have been in the industry in the field for a long time. I'm sure at one point in time you had to get in the car and take long road trips. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. There, there are <laughs> tens and tens of thousand miles on uh, three vans that I've had over the years going on. I don't do as much traveling anymore. Just older I get, the I, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, oh, no. I'm still young, Carl. I'm ready to travel. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> there, you know, we've been on some road trips together. <laughs> You've yes, been on road have. trips together. Oh, oh yes. yeah. Totally. Oh, yes. Totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, to, you know, I, you know, there's, uh, uh, well, you've been to Chicago many times. Uh, yeah. And, and he'll, he's been, uh, I, you know, I would go up to Missouri. There was a big tent sale, like a million, million book sales that I would go to, you know. And, of course, I wouldn't buy a million books. But, you know, I would leave there with a few thousand books. Um, I do a lot of less, uh, less of that now. Um, I, uh, you know, my state sales thrift stores, people's houses. Enough people know about what I do now that if someone passes away, unfortunately, you know, I'll get called in to look at their collection, um, do some appraisals for some people that run estate sales. And then that's really been profitable for me to go in and kind of get first pick at times. You know, I don't. I don't uh, crucify an estate sale, but I take what I, you know, feel like it's reasonable. But, um, yeah. And and the Internet has made this much easier, buying and acquiring books and the kind of books you want. Uh, there's a website uh, called Book Sales USA, and it literally tells you every week who in the United States is holding a book sale. Mm. And it'll describe how many books are being sold, 10,000, 100,000, half a million and therefore, used bookstores or anybody that wants to build a library can track on Book Sales USA. And my wife and I made annual trips to Denver for the last 25 years. We'd ship home 50 boxes of books from that sale. Wow. Uh, we made annual trips to this huge sale, probably the biggest in Chicago, and ship home about the same number. Same thing for a sale in Massachusetts. Would you uh, say that Nashville is a good place for used books? Yes and no. Uh, it's a good place because you've got 
Nickelstone Bindery up until about 12 years ago, which did most of the binding of all the books in America, mm. or more so than other binders. Therefore, lots and lots of overruns and extras and defective copies where, you know, they spilled ink on the last page. Uh, Nickelstone went out of business. You got Vanderbilt University Press, uh, therefore always a good source, a place you can buy obscure books. Uh, that aren't necessarily listed on the Internet. You've got a rich tradition of lots of bookstores, Mills, Zeberts, uh, lots of bookstores here in Nashville, uh, which, of course, like any business, will hold sales from time to time. If you're paying attention, you know, good place to buy. And as Carl said, estate sales, uh, especially of somebody's home where they collected or owned a lot of books, uh, Carl and I will go to most of those and see each other there over the years. And typically, it you know, might be 50 customers come to the estate sale. There'd be four or five of us at the most that would be interested in books. Mm-hmm. And probably only Carl and I have one other seriously interested in them. <laughs> now, Carl, what do you think? Do you think Nashville is a good area for used books? It is. It is. I, um, you know, we, we have lost some really important used bookstores over the years. Um, Certainly, Bookman, Bookwoman, when they closed, it was a really sad day for me. Um, but uh, but it's still a town rich for used books. Um, most of the libraries still have branch sales. Uh, yes. You know, you, you can go to one sale that I remember he was talking about us buying books together. We were at the USN sale once, and and that year a professor had dumped his whole library. And, and I remember we Larry and I went to the back wall, and there's this huge <laughs> roll of tables, right? And uh, he, yeah, he knows exactly what I'm about. To, and he started at one end, and I started at the other. And we were there for what, like probably three hours. Mm-hmm. And about halfway through, we met in the middle, and we crossed paths and just kept going. <laughs> and, and we just had these massive piles of books we, going. We kept saying to each other, "Why aren't all the other customers <laughs> exactly. over here on these books, which Carl and I both knew would sell immediately exactly. at really good prices?" And uh, that's why we were right. anxious to be there for three hours. Exactly. So, so when you're scouting for new books like you all did at this estate sale, what are you looking for? Are you looking for more things than just the condition of the book? Oh, absolutely. Subject matter. I'm looking for, you know, the things you asked me about, uh, maybe like a rare find. Most of what I, I, I sell reading copies. Um, I, I, I know I mentioned price before, and that factors in if someone asks me about something specific. But just in general terms, I just want to get good reading copies of books people are interested out into the community which I think is really important. And that's why, I mean, I don't, I do a little, little consignment online with people, but most of the books I sell are locally uh, sourced and I sell them locally because I think it's important to keep that alive in Nashville, um, which is really why I opened uh, my small sli- you know, slice of the used book world here in Nashville in Antique Mall um, because it keeps me connected to the public, which I, I just, mm. that's the most important thing for me is the people. Mm-hmm. Now, Larry... Well, tell me about that connection to, to the people when Bookman, Bookwoman was a brick and mortar. It, it was great. Uh, you know, I met a thousand new friends over the years. Uh, and I was only there at the end of the day when I left my law office and came by to help out. Uh, books are a lot more fun than law. Uh, so I tried to spend a lot of time there. Sarah Lee really operated the management of the store. Uh, you meet great people. And you learn. You learn a lot. Uh, sitting here listening to Carl, what he looks for in, in a stack of books he comes to. I'm the same way. First thing I look for are publishers I've never heard of. 
because if it's a publishing house I've never heard of, that means they probably printed 100 copies of the book, 500 copies. It's going to be a book that's really, really hard to find. Maybe really hard to find because the book's not interesting to anybody. But a lot of times it's a unique enough subject that they found this little publishing house in the middle of Oregon that nobody's ever heard of. And that book could be worth a lot of money on the Internet or to a uh, particular customer. Mm -hmm. Now, we've got only a couple minutes left, but I would like both of you to answer. Like, what do you want people to know about the used book scene here? Larry? Buy local. Uh, Amazon's a great company. I own stock in it. But Amazon and companies like them drive local retail businesses out of business. And therefore, when you can buy local, whether it's books or uh, toys or whatever, uh, I would certainly encourage that. National needs more bookstores. We've, we've got a very small number of bookstores for our population. Yeah, I, I think what I'd like to say is, is that, yeah, don't underestimate people like Larry and I and, and your other guests. I mean, we're, we're in this business because we love books. And it's um, sometimes it's a sacrifice. Uh, you know, we, I was telling Larry before we came in here, you know, I, if I die a book dealer, that's fine with me. Mm. I love books. I love selling books. I love the looks on people's faces when they find a book that they've been looking for in my shop. And that's how I get, that's my reward. And so, you know, when you're buying locally from a, from a, from a bookseller, um, you're doing more than just buying a book. You're making their day, mm -hmm. you know, because they love books and they care about the people that they're selling to. And it, it means something to them. Mm -hmm. Now, real quick, we got 30 seconds, but I'd love to hear what book do you both have in your possession that you refuse to get rid of? Larry. The Page Galley Proof of the Lord of the Rings. Wow. I'm sure that's worth a lot of money. <laughs> Carl. Um, no, that's tough. I, I'm sure it would be, uh, gosh, I hate to say this. It sounds so mercenary. Everything's for sale. <laughs> Everything's for sale. Everything's for sale. I just, I hate to feel like I'm just contradicting myself. But there's no book that I'm not going to sell. A used bookseller to the heart through and through. That is used and rare book reseller, Carl Smith. He was joined by Larry Woods of Bookman, Bookwoman. Thanks to you both for being on the show today. Thank you. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Farouche, Rose Gilbert, and Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. Shout out to our intern, Doreen Chernecki. The masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Jordan Trombley. The conversation does not end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.